0: So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 8 through 10. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our gospel lesson is probably among the most familiar to us, alongside the nativity, parables like the prodigal son, the raising of Lazarus, and the excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount. This is very much what the gospel is about, hearing that this Jesus of Nazareth, called the Christ, after being in the tomb since Friday, was raised from the dead and left the tomb freely. What stuck with me throughout my time preparing for Easter and to preach at this vigil was the repeated command to be free from fear. First, the angel tells the women who come to the tomb do not be afraid, but they departed quickly with fear and great joy. It is only when Jesus tells them the second time, do not be afraid, that their fear seems to be erased. At the level of narrative, we understand why the women were afraid and why the angel and Jesus would need to dispel their fear. They are still grieved by the crucifixion and death of Jesus. They have seen the soldiers shaken and cast down because of a great earthquake. The heavy stone used to seal the tomb has been cast aside. An angel, a literal messenger of God, has appeared to them. It doesn't take much study of Scripture to come away with the impression that something about angels fills those who meet them with fear and dread it seems like the first sentence out of their mouths is often, do not be afraid. There's a fairly popular meme that shows a drawing of a biblically accurate angel covered in eyes saying, do not be afraid, meant to illustrate why they often seem to say this. The women hear the command and are joyful but still frightened. They go to carry out the angel's other instructions, to tell the other disciples that Jesus is risen. Jesus appears to them, and the second sentence out of his mouth is, do not be afraid. This, too, seems reasonable. Even though other people had been raised from the dead, as recently as Lazarus, more than a week past. the examples we have are always of people who died from sickness. The normal expectation for someone killed through something as torturous as crucifixion Is that they were not going to rise from the dead. Even though they had been told that Jesus was going to be raised, even though the angel has told them that Jesus has been raised, there's still a measure of unreality to the whole notion. It seems that it is only after their encounter with the risen Lord that their fear is removed. As far outside their experience as it is, Jesus is in fact raised from the dead, and the women no longer have reason to fear. There are a couple of things that we can see at play here. We can see that perfect love casts out fear. The angel, although a messenger of God, is a relative unknown to the women. Jesus, however, is their teacher, their beloved Lord and friend, In turn, he loves them, as he has told his disciples at various times in his ministry. There is one other time where Jesus says these words, Do not be afraid. At the Sea of Galilee, when the disciples cross on their own, and Jesus walks on the water to meet them, they are afraid he is a ghost. He says to them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. These two episodes, Jesus walking on the sea and his resurrection, are connected by this commandment against fear. Jesus walking on the sea prefigures his death and resurrection, but especially his resurrection. In the ancient world, water, particularly deep water, signified the power and realm of death. For Jesus to walk on top of the water was a sign to the disciples that he was unaffected by water, or unclaimed and unaffected by water, and therefore unclaimed and unaffected by death. Now let me be careful in my meaning by saying that Jesus was unclaimed and unaffected by death. There is no doubt that Jesus actually, really, physically died on the cross at Golgotha. Jesus' spirit actually and really left his body. Jesus' dead body was actually, really, physically laid in the tomb. And yet, Jesus did not go unwillingly into the grave. Death did not take him, so to speak. Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. Death did not seize the spirit of Christ and drag him down into Hades. So we can say that Jesus was unclaimed by death. For us to say that something affected something else... There has to be a meaningful change to what we are saying was affected. Death cannot give life. It can only consume and degrade it. The resurrection is proof that death failed to consume or degrade Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. Jesus' body did not stay in the tomb. At the resurrection, his spirit and body were reunited in a way that surpassed how Adam's spirit was first embodied, from the dust of the earth by the power of God. Just as Jesus tells the 12 and then the women to not be afraid, he tells us the same thing. What is it that we are afraid of? In my observation of the culture around us, one that purports to be majority Christian, I think the biggest thing the people around us are afraid of is, what if it isn't true? There are people in our communities who have faced that fear and have come out of the experience in one of three overall directions. Some become convinced that the resurrection cannot be possible, and therefore all of Christianity is suspect. Others become convinced that the resurrection probably didn't happen the way it is presented in scripture, but that the moral teachings of the church are valuable even without the truth of the resurrection. Finally, we are convinced that the resurrection did happen as it is presented and that the moral teachings and promises of God through the church are impossible and even meaningless without the resurrection as I said I'm assuming that we are in this third group we who have come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord but if you come to this service with doubts that is okay too our Lord is patient with our frailties and weakness even so it is important to know that we do not come to our convictions lightly. As St. Paul says in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, everything we are doing is in vain. Worse, we are misrepresenting God. If Christ is not really, actually, physically raised from the dead, then we deserve all the incredulity of the unbelievers. All of the Jews' charges of blasphemy, all the scorn and derision of the Muslim world. However, we have so many sure and certain witnesses that the resurrection did in fact happen. We have four direct accounts in Holy Scripture accessible at our fingertips. We have St. Paul's own assertion that he has spoken to many of those who saw the resurrected Jesus in person. We have the testimony of Peter throughout the Acts of the Apostles. We have the testimony of St. Stephen and all of the holy martyrs of the first century of the church. Testimony given in blood, spilled for the truth of our risen Savior. This is why Jesus says, do not be afraid. Because it really is him that the women met outside the tomb. Because it is really him, we do not have any cause to fear that we are misrepresenting God. The incredulity of the unbelievers washes over us without touching us. The charges of blasphemy from those who should have accepted our Lord as their Lord find no purchase in us. The scorn and derision of those who follow Islam is shown to be ignorant and ill-founded. We are not afraid because Jesus has conquered death and the tomb stands empty. And so, let us repeat again the Easter acclamation. Christ is risen! Lord is risen indeed! Hallelujah. May we never tire of saying those words, greeting one another with such an awe-filled and joyful reminder. Amen.